field crest towards Quentin. Um, turn around, I was driving down Quentin, I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. This is at Glover, subject 1074, electronic ID aware. NCJA 1014. NCJA 1014. Hello, and welcome to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014 podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. As we continue our discussion on North Carolina's opioid crisis, my guest today is Special Agent in Charge over the Special Services Division of the Alcohol Law Enforcement of North Carolina, Special Agent Israel Morrow. Agent Morrow, welcome to our podcast. Glad to have you here. And I'm just I'm just going to say right off the bat that this is a discussion that has broadened itself very quickly over the state of North Carolina from the Attorney General's Office all the way through the ranks of law enforcement in North Carolina, that the opioid crisis is with us. And certainly information that you're going to bring to the table today is, is going to help that in that discussion. So thanks again for being here. Thank you, sir. So when this topic was first handed to me, and it was like, well, we're going to tie opioids to tobacco. I had to do like one of those commercials, I think, for progressive insurance. They go, what? <laughs> Where's the tie-in between tobacco and opioid crisis? And the discussion just kind of morphed and goes, well, there's this guy who works for ALE, <laughs> and he's got the answer to that. So that guy is sitting with me now is Special Agent Israel Morrow with ALE. So how do the two tie together? How is it that ALE is able to work tobacco into the opioid crisis in North Carolina? Well, uh, that is a very good question. And um, right now, just to, to start it off and where the, the big issue is, is that, yes, there is an opioid epidemic in North Carolina. It is very concerned, con, uh, concerning and alarming. But what a lot of people don't understand is that if our tobacco sell rate, meaning if a miner goes into a store and purchases um, tobacco under the age of 18 in the control of law enforcement during a survey, and our sell rate goes above 20 point, uh, above 20%, the state of North Carolina is in jeopardy of losing um, about a 40% reduction in uh, in our in their block grants, um, equating to a loss of approximately 18 million dollars in here in North Carolina. Um, these funds support the critical mental health and substance use disorder prevention and the treatment programs. And 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 big and and most concerning is including combating the opioid epidemic. Right. So okay, that that brings on a, a question within itself. So if we are trying really hard, and I'm sure ALE is doing that, to have people comply with the tobacco purchase, how are you all able to do that? I mean, I, I know ALE can only be so big, and there must be hundreds of thousands of retail stores in North Carolina that you're responsible for controlling, but yet there's money tied at the other end. That seems like an almost impossible task. It's a um, it's a battle um, that uh, that we're, we're t we we uh, take on every single day, but we're able to um, we're we're making a little bit of headway. But it was done with a comprehensive approach. Okay. What I mean by is is that um, ALE is partnering with the Department of Health and Human Services, and how we're we're partnering together is working a couple different angles. We're working it at an educational piece. 
which is your prevention piece. And we're, we're going out. We are in we being AOE are going inside of these stores, which we're already inside of stores as it is on the alcohol and, and the lottery side of it for um, uh, age restricted products. But we're also there for the tobacco side of it. And while we're there, we're preventing uh, we're providing um, uh, education uh, to the employees and, and as well as the owners of these locations. So we're providing them with training. Um, on a face-to-face value, but then we're also providing training on an online value. We've worked with um, uh, a provider, and um, we have an online retailer training that is up and running, which is because we understand that people can't leave the the business um, all the time because it could be just a family-owned business, so we're trying to to hit every avenue as we can um, as the teaching aspect of it. But then the next approach is, is going to be the enforcement side of it how we're working this enforcement side because there hasn't been any enforcement per se in the state of North Carolina since about um, 2000 and I'd say probably about 2011. Um, the state's funding for tobacco prevention and enforcement was was started uh, was cut back. So that's how we've already started seeing a, an increase in the, the, the tobacco violation rate um, with that and then the, the products of the, the new products on the market, your vapors, your jewels. Um, so we've seen the, the increase there. But what we're doing is on the enforcement side is we, we are using minors um, to, to go into the store. But our first thing that we're doing is, is that it's all about um, the educational piece. So we'll send in a minor. And if there is a type of transaction that's taking place, we're actually issuing a written warning to that location saying, hey, this is what occurred. We need you to uh, to step back and take some training, and let's let everybody get on the same page. Um, we'll do that. Then after we, if they decide to take the training, we're actually going to go back and do a recheck on this location. And if they sell, um, we're going to issue them a state ci- state citation. If they don't sell, then we're you know thanking them and um, and still providing more educational um, uh, inf- uh, information to them. So with that approach of the enforcement and the educational piece, and hopefully one day if we can get some legislation written about a, um, a licensing system for all the places in the state of North Carolina, um, I think we can we can put it all together and, and come together as, and, and that sale rate will be down and, um, and, and, and we can continue to keep it down because we'll be able to keep our thumb um, on, on pretty much a lot of the, the activity that's taking place. Right. So I want to rewind for just a moment because we uh, I took us down a, a kind of a different path. You mentioned about the sale rate and the violation thereof and that it's, it, it's tied to some money, so losing that block grant funding. Talk specifically about those funds. So if the state loses what you described as literally millions of dollars, what is the state really losing when that money goes away? Um, they're losing, once again, uh, the, the prevention, the treatment programs. So in the state of North Carolina, um, there is federal funding that comes into the state. That federal funding, once it comes here, is then pushed out to all of our um, community providers within the state. Um, we have quite a few of them that are set up through the state. Um, for instance, you have Insight, where uh, money goes to them. Um, they're actually working inside of the community to be able to um, host programs, like um, um, a program for community prevention, bringing everybody together, which ALE has participated in. Um, that is the type of funding that we're losing. Also, for the um, for for counselors for um, anything tied to prevention and treatment, funding goes away. Specifically, 
at opioids? Opioids and um, and other substance abuse um, as well, as well as the as mental health as well too. Okay, all right. Yes. So that that kind of makes sense. I see how that ties in. Is that when when that money is lost, that's money that the state does not have to invest in helping kind of supplant the the opioid crisis and the treatment that goes along with it. Okay, so that that makes perfectly good sense to me now. I hope it does to our listeners as well. (laughs) You talked a lot about training, so it sounds like the agency is really trying to focus on compliance and and making sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. And I know now you, you look at a kid who's in high school and maybe a sophomore or a junior and it looks like he's 23 and a fullback for the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> I know that has got to be hard. So talk a little bit about that training and what it involves and, and how y'all approach retail folks, you know, like I'm the, I'm the mom and pop guy that owns the convenience store. What are you going to be able to do that, that will help me be in compliance as far as tobacco sales are concerned? It all comes down to that that interaction with everyone and providing uh, the same information from all the way from the mom and pop store all the way to the big chains. And uh, we're working with, it doesn't matter if you're an individual mom and pop store, but we're also working with the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association to get this information out because our, you know, if, if uh, the, the enforcement of um, the tobacco laws has, has gone down since about two, like we said a while ago, about 2011, we want to make sure that everybody's uniform across the state all the same information is being pushed out that's why we we're not also training the retailers but we're training our agents we're providing information to local law enforcement officers anyone that will listen that are dealing with um, the the tobacco um, issue we're passing it on especially school resource officers we're trying to get that information out to them we'll come down to justice academy speak with them during new sro training but to get back to it is that um, when we go in Always that face-to-face training helps. Um, We're making sure that they're checking for identifications, but one of the things that we're doing is when we're doing these uh, compliance checks, we're looking to see what is the issue. Are they asking for the identification? If they are asking for it, are they punching it into the computer correctly? And what that means is is that our computer systems are sophisticated nowadays, at, at uh, cash registers are, and they can type your date of birth in. Well, a lot of times what we're seeing now is they are asking for the identif- identification like they're supposed to, ask them to take it out of their wallet, but then when they type it in the computer, the computer stops to sell and they're like and the and the clerk's going you know what something's not right so they'll try it again nope something's not right what they'll then do is is they'll go in and override the system uh, by either putting their date of birth in or somebody that would make or a date of birth that would make them that person old enough for that age restricted product and it's called overriding the system that's what we're seeing the most of now um, so we're, we're hitting home on that. That's the training that we're giving them um, of, of making sure that they're doing that correctly. The next thing is is, um, is um, showing a lot of different identifications to them to make sure that they're not being p- uh, passed a, a fraudulent identification. Um, but we're also asked all the time of, I didn't know that you had to be 18 to purchase a, a, um, a vapor product. Well, you have to be 18. The way the law is written is that you have to be 18 to purchase or possess um, uh, or to purchase a, um, uh, a tobacco product. And a tobacco product in, is considered a cigarette, wrapping paper, um, your cigars, but then also with the um, electronic devices, your uh, vapors, the juice, 
the vapor or any component, even the battery that goes inside the vapor, is considered a tobacco product. Yeah, and see, that's just like brand new information to me. I had absolutely no clue, and I dare say a lot of the cops that are listening to this are going, really? Because you just don't think about it in that traditional sense. And I know that uh, SROs that I've had interaction with, like they're doing battle with these things almost on a daily basis because they are running rampant uh, with possession on campus. But what they're having the most difficulty with is looking at that 15, 16 year old kid and going, where'd you get that from? Mm-hmm. Uh, so just having that piece of information for a street cop to know that vapes and, and jewels and, and any of that electronic also falls under the tobacco compliance law, That's that's just like, Holy cow. I, I mean, I really don't know how to describe it. I was just blown away when you told me that. Well, it, it is very concerning, especially when you start getting into the vapor juices. Because on the vapor juice, you don't know exactly what's inside that product because it still isn't regulated by the FDA at this time. So I'm getting phone phone calls continuously from law enforcement officers across the state about um, their, uh, especially school resource officers with students smoking um, their jewels or smoking um, a vapor product in school and passing out. Right. Well, I, I got a phone call from one of our agents the other day down in the Pitt County area. There is a, a new product that's out there that um, we're finding in, in our stores and um, sent it off to the state crime lab, and it did test positive as a Schedule One controlled substance because it has synthetic cannabinoids inside of it. So once again, people aren't really understanding what is inside of these juices. And across the state, there have been clandestine labs where they found um, individuals making their own vapor juices to put in vapors. Wow. Yes, sir. Well, so again, that opens up a whole new door for a whole new set of questions. Um and I'm assuming that, that ALE is is working vape shops and yes, places that are specific, and I see them all the time. You know, they're just like little street fronts on the corner, you know, vape this and vape that, that, that you are in those places as well doing the same things as you would at uh, a major grocery store chain or a convenience store on the corner. So how's that kind of working out? What's, what's the reception from that arena? It is a um – it's it's it it takes a lot of planning and a lot of resources to make sure that we're getting out there and trying to touch everyone mm-hmm. that is selling the tobacco product. Um, but in the state of North Carolina, we uh, we do not have a licensing system to show um, who who sells tobacco products and who doesn't. And one of the things that we had to do prior to um, us doing this the sign our survey for which we're currently doing right now is that we had to do a coverage study we had to um maps were given to us and we had to go down dirt roads we had to go places to try to figure out hey is there a tobacco shop here is there a tobacco shop there um you don't know where they're located at the only ones that we know and is going to be putting um um, somewhat of an assumption into it is that ALE, we have a database. We have it for every ABC um, location that's in the state of North Carolina that sells alcohol and lottery. But you can't just look at locations as a convenience store or the only places that are selling tobacco products. It isn't. You can buy tobacco products at a bar, at a club, at a restaurant. You can still buy those there. And once again, without a licensing system, you do not know where all the locations are located at. But yes, it is is very time consuming, but 
we are getting some positive feedback in going inside of a lot of these stores, um, especially that do not have ABC or lottery permits, and they are accepting this and accepting the training and 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 wanting to do the right thing. All right. So. Again, kind of looking at the enforcement piece of it, and I know you all are, are really focused on education, which I think is just awesome, but from an enforcement standpoint, if someone provides a minor, which in this case under the age of 18, with a vape or with a jewel, I assume there's a penalty that goes along with that. Uh, yes, so um, there it is a um, there will be issued a citation. It is a class two misdemeanor for selling a tobacco product to a person who at the time is less than eighteen years of age. Or also, if someone goes in and purchases a tobacco product for someone and brings it back outside and gives it to that indivi- that underage person, that is, once again, a Class two misdemeanor. Um, but at this time, without a licensing system like there is with the ABC system and the lottery system, there is not a, a civil fine placed on the location if they don't have a permit. So that, you know, what we, we all understand is that um, it always hurts the pocket. When you can hit the pocket, it, it, it makes a big difference. And um, if we could start working towards a, a civil penalty towards locations that are selling to underage, I think we, this would also be part of that comprehensive approach that we could take of lowering that um, that retail violation rate. So I, I'm going to ask this question, even though I know that it's it's well above your pay grade, but you probably have the inside information to know where it's headed. Is ALE trying to steer toward a licensing system for tobacco products, or is it just too premature in the discussion to even address? No, I, the, the the state is definitely going to start, um, you know, looking at this as an avenue because, once again, this is very alarming. When you see a, um, your, the, the sale rate, if it gets above the 20% and the loss of funding that the state will lose, we're looking at every possible avenue that we possibly can to, to make sure that we ensure that we're going to receive our funding because we do have a crisis. And we're, um, we're looking at every avenue. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. So I know there, th- this thing goes further than the state of North Carolina. Has the federal government gotten involved at, at any point? Um, and it, it seems like they always do somewhere along the way. I always think about seatbelts way back in the 70s. But has the federal government gotten involved with with helping states and or mandating some things that states have to do in order to stay in compliance? Uh, yes, they do. So with the, um, the SINAR amendment, um, it, it is obviously saying, hey, the federal government's looking and going, all right, the 20%, that's where we're going to set the threshold at. We want it obviously way lower than 20%, but we're going to stand at set a standard. The next thing is, is we're going to, um, the, the state looks at is, okay, how are you enforcing the, the tobacco laws within your state? Are there, do you have a state tobacco law? which we do, um, 14-313. So we've established that. How are you, um, how are we tracking that? Are we just issuing citations? Are we issuing written warnings? Um, Do we still have vending machines? If you have a vending machine, a tobacco vending machine, um, which are are rare to see nowadays, um, uh, but there's still some that are out there. You know, is it in a location that is going to be somewhere that's going to be 18 years or older to be able to access that? They're looking at that. They're looking at how are you doing promotion-wise? How are you advertising or some type of media campaigns of, of um, pushing out the information? There, there are some guidelines that we, we do go by that um, we do follow to make sure that we are – it's not only just a sell rate. 
there's also other mandates that they're looking at, as we discussed. Okay. So as we think about this in the, the big picture, uh, I'd like to take it down to the street level. And, and let's just take an ALE agent who is assigned to any county in the state of North Carolina. What is that guy or gal's day going to be like now that this component has kind of added into because before we started you were kind of explaining the responsibilities of ALE which again new information to me some of the things that y'all are having to regulate and and take part of enforcement but what does this do to one of your field agents as far as the the workload is concerned obviously it puts a little bit more on them but it just seems like you guys have so many balls in the air well, this is um, an, an, an extra duty that we have, and um, a lot of our agents do participate in this program because of it is it's um, it is a um, it is for a, a, a valuable. Um, um, it, this is they understand the, the consequences of what could take place if our sale rate goes over 20%. But it also helps our agents of being able to speak with the retailer. So if they're going to go in, they're going to speak with the retailer and um, and ask them, hey, do you have your state, um, there is a sign that you have to have posted within your business that says that um, you will not sell to a person under the age of 18, has to be posted pointed towards the point of sale. Another thing is they're looking for is that we get phone calls a lot of times too is um, someone selling loose cigarettes. Um, aka Lucy's um, within the store selling broken individual packages so they're going in looking at that they're also looking at um, and one of the things that we um, we're, we're pushing out to our agents is that are the cigarettes that are being sold in these locations are they approved by the Attorney General's office because you have to have there's an approved list of who could be um, what could be sold in North Carolina uh, based upon the master settlement agreement we're also in there looking at um, uh, you know, what type of advertisements that, that are going in there. Now, some of these infractions or I- issues that we've brought up, ex- like the cigarettes and the, the advertising aspect of it, is where we partner with FDA. And we uh, will notify the, the, the FDA and ask them to, hey, there isn't a state law on this, but there is a Fed regulation. Let's, let's let you speak with the location and, and handle it there. So it's, it's an educational piece and an enforcement piece from two, two different angles, the state and the federal side right. of it. So let, let me back up just a second when you talked about that um, vape juice that had a controlled substance into it. Now what? I mean, does, mm-hmm. Do you take that up to the FDA and go, here's what we've got here in North Carolina. Can you help us out? Or exactly, I mean, what what do you do? That is a good question. Um, and one of the things that uh, we've been uh, th- uh, throwing the idea around is is that's okay. We definitely want to make sure that our district attorney's offices are on board because this is a control. This is a controlled substance. So what we're doing is we're speaking with the district attorney's offices. Are you willing to prosecute? How would you want to, to move forward to make sure that the best case possible? Because this is a public safety concern, that no doubt, um, with this being on the shelves. Um, you know, sometimes it could be where the, the retail store is being told, hey, there isn't anything wrong with this product, sell it. Well, what we're looking at is let's let's take the approach of let's let's give them a letter saying, hey, you need to be careful with certain products. You need to make sure that um, that this isn't has anything that could be a public safety concern. Um, 
especially if I was a retailer, I'd ask, hey, can I have the lab results of this showing that it doesn't have, you know, X amount of THC in it, that it doesn't have any other type of substances in it that, that are banned um, as a retailer to be safe. But um, we can give that information to the retailers. And then after that, if, if they fail to, to um, want to um, adhere to the letter, we could proceed forward with, with a criminal case against them. Okay. So back to this agent that you mentioned who who sent this to the state crime lab what was the giveaway there what what was it that kind of sent up the red flag to make him send that to the state crime lab we received phone calls from the public um, from our community um, providers that I spoke about a while ago that mm-hmm. gets federal funding. And um, they'll call us and say, hey, we've had one of our um, uh, community members, someone in the community that has said um, that they have taken something, they've had to go to the hospital. Um, and um, so that we'll get phone calls on it. And what we'll do is we'll try to find that product, send it to the lab and see if it tests for anything. And because obviously it's a public safety concern. Okay. Fair enough. So... ALE obviously is doing its job as as hard as you can from the education standpoint. It seems like every time you try to work harder on education and information, and no matter how much you punch it out there, there's going to be a a handful that just won't comply. You know, we're we're just not on board with that. We're a small operation. We're going to serve anybody that comes in from 8 to 80. How do you deal with those folks? Is, is there some type of stair-step structure for the number of violations, or how does that work out? Well, it's like a, a good friend of mine told me before I went into law enforcement, you always have to remember you can't force your way out of everything, but there's to a point where you have to. And what we're doing is taking that approach right now is, is that um, – we're, we're giving them that, um, you know, going in, if there's a check that's done there and there is a sale that takes place, we're giving them a written warning, then we're providing them training, then we're going to come back. After the third interaction that you have with someone, you know, hopefully and um, that th- they've learned, they know the procedures, and that um, that a sale won't take place. But if it does, then they're going to be issued that citation. And um, we'll have a court, um, obviously have a court date, mandatory court appearance. But to step back, though, it's only on the individual. Once again, it doesn't reflect on the store, the location. That's where if North Carolina would go to a licensing system that we could possibly have that as a civil penalty as we do as the ABC and the lottery. Statistically speaking, do you find that because there is more involvement with ALE in businesses that there are more individuals who are out there buying up cigarettes and electronic products and kind of selling them out on the street? I um, kind of laugh at that question because I have a, um, speaking with you earlier, I have a 16-year-old daughter and, a, and getting ready to be a 6-year-old daughter. But I always ask my uh, my 16-year-old when I first started doing the tobacco stuff, I was like, hey, um, what kind of cigarettes people smoke at school now? And she goes, they don't smoke cigarettes. They're all smoking their, their vapors inside the bathroom, and I think they're smoking their, their, their BHO in there. I'm like, how do you know what butane hash oil is? She said, well, that's what they say at school. And um, I said, she goes, but listen, you give me 40 bucks, I can go to school and I can buy you one. I said, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> Pass. But, yeah. But, but the reason I say that is, and, and, and we laugh about it, but you can buy this stuff on the Internet. All you have to click is a button saying that you're old enough, or if you have a sibling, they could purchase it for you, or a parent will buy it for them because they're thinking that it's a safer alternative for their children, which, once again, there still isn't any studies that are showing that this is working to stop someone from smoking. Um, 
but but the, the there's also that we have to look at that tobacco is a gateway drug, and um, but at that school, and, and my daughter when she was telling me about this at school, she said that she was aware of the same vapor being passed around three times for three different people having it. So um, it, it's um, it's very concerning. But I know that our SROs are getting them out of the schools, and the teachers are becoming more aware of it and, and reporting it to administrative staff. And um, and I believe that the, the attorney general is taking the stance right now on Jewel and um, and, and trying to work with the company to um, here in North Carolina. All right. Well, I know, too, sometimes kids do things and they don't think about the dangers. I had an opportunity to see some photographs that an SRO had taken at his school where one of these electronic devices actually exploded while the child had it in his mouth. The child was 14, by the way, uh, but literally took out sections of teeth and had to have stitches in both his upper and lower lip. And I know that's a red flag to... ALE. And, and I guess what I'm trying to head toward as far as SROs and street cops in North Carolina are concerned is when they encounter things like this, is it good for them to pass that information on to the ALE agent in their area? Yes, if they have any type of information that would be um, where we could find out where the individual purchased it from, our job is to, 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 to cut that head off the snake. We want to figure out where it's coming from so we can to, to get in there and let's, let's, stop, let's stop this. Because um, once again, the, the, uh, at the end of the day, our job is to make sure that um, it says 18, that persons under the age of 18 do not have a tobacco product in their hand or their mouth. And um, that's what we're looking to do, to stop that. Anything else you can add to this discussion, Agent Morrow, that we haven't covered? Um, I, this is um, with, with the tobacco aspect of it. I, I know we always think about the tobacco fields when we drive down the road, saw quite a few of them on the way down here. But we're turning away. More, it's not as much anymore as as the cigarettes. The um, it, there's still the um, the uh, the chew and, and the dip that's out there. But the new thing now is is the is the uh, the vapors and the juices. As a law enforcement officer, still you want to be mindful of when you're when you're handling these vapor devices um, or any type of juice that you're still wearing gloves because you don't have any idea what's inside that inside that chemical. And um, but if if you're going to be seeing in that item for some reason make sure that you would take the battery out of it so it doesn't catch on fire um, just for what we discussed a while ago but um, uh, but I, I do appreciate you for for allowing me to come down and speak today and and be a part of um, this conversation and if there's anything on the ALE side that I can ever do I, I, I hope that law enforcement will please reach out to us and we'll give you the uh, resources that you need hopefully yeah and that's exactly the purpose of these podcasts to share with law enforcement in North Carolina to start that conversation and you have shared some information here that I know is going to open some conversation doors throughout the 100 counties of North Carolina so thanks again for being here thank Thank you, sir. Our guest today has been Special Agent in Charge over the Special Services Division of Alcohol Law Enforcement in North Carolina, Special Agent Israel Morrow. You've been listening to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014 podcast. Remember, we're here for you. If there are topics of conversation that you would like to hear in the future, please let us know. You can do so by email at the following address, Information. That's N-C-J-A, information, at ncdoj.gov. In the meantime, stay safe. We have covered PPE, 
the types of opioids you could come across in the field, and how funding is tied to tobacco sales. But what is being done to combat this crisis? Tune in next time as we start the second half of our series on opioids and meet with the chief of the Jacksonville Police Department, Chief Mike Yanero, and Dr. Tony Gilbert to discuss the measures they have put in place to help the residents of Jacksonville and the surrounding area.